welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 10, issue 498, and today we will be talking about Lisa, the painful RPG. Joining me, Leah Haydu, in issue 498 are Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Ryan Zhao. I'm here and I'm ready to laugh. <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, this is going to be a real lighthearted and uh, cheerful It's a really good family, you know, feel good hit of the summer. People are falling down all the time and getting injured. It's so funny. <laughs> Jeez. So, so if you have no idea what Lisa is, we discussed this a little bit before the show and um, decided that this is one of the times that we uh, really do want to emphasize that uh, this episode does carry a content warning for a lot of things. It is a very dark game in tone. So yes, content warning for violence, sexual violence, child abuse, suicide, drug addiction, dismemberment, body horror. Basically, you name it, it is in this game. Uh, it is it is disturbing in a lot of ways to a lot of people. So if there, uh, if there are any concerns about that, uh, I would really recommend that either you skip this one or at the very, very least proceed with caution um, so that, you know, n- nobody is made uh, unduly uncomfortable by the content of the game. So what is Lisa? Uh, this is not one that I personally was familiar with prior to the podcast uh, recording schedule coming out for this year. So this was kind of a new one on me. Uh, But Lisa is a side-scrolling 2D sprite-based turn-based RPG with light platforming and featuring many different recruitable party members. I have any of them can be missed, but I don't believe that's entirely true. Most of them can be missed. I think there are a couple of uh, mandatory party members, uh, notably your your first party member, who I'm sure we will uh, discuss here in a moment. Um, But you can also lose your party members permanently. Any party member that you get can be either killed, taken away, uh, abandoned, or abducted. There are a lot of chance-based events in this game, and a lot of them result in your party members uh, being permanently taken out of the party with no warning sometimes, which is uh, has the potential to be quite frustrating in my opinion, but we will again get to that shortly. The setting is a post-apocalyptic world. It's it, to me, it reads like a, uh, a United States, you know, North American uh, setting, but they don't specify. They do give the town a name, uh, which is Olath or Olath, um, which I looked this up because I was curious. And it is a the name of a real town in Kansas. I don't know that it's necessarily intended to be that specific town, but um, it's it's kind of a really specific thing to um to, to be just a coincidence. So I, I, I don't know. I wonder, though, if uh, if this is something that uh, was an inspiration for the game, for the uh, name of the town in the game. Uh, but the setting is post-apocalyptic. Uh, there are no women in this world. There are only men, except for one. And this is the uh, kind of the turning point of our our story. Uh, this is a baby girl. Uh, starts out the game as a baby girl. And who is found by our um, kind of main character protagonist, uh, Brad, Brad Armstrong, who's kind of a middle aged, balding dude with a big, bushy beard. Um, 
And hi, Brian. You know, go on, go on. <laughs> hey, hi. <laughs> relatable, relatable. Um, he locates in this apocalypse. He uh, he locates this baby just kind of out of nowhere. Finds him, uh, finds her rather, uh, just kind of out in the wilderness, and brings her home, raises her, and uh, it attempts to protect her until she is abducted, resulting in the events of the game. Um, the creator of the game uh, and as i'll note here in a moment it is by and large pretty much a one person uh operation and the official website for the game describes it as a life ruining gaming experience so they're pretty upfront about the fact that this is not supposed to be a happy touchy feely type of game and uh that is no exaggeration it's uh it's pretty dark uh you know because apocalyptic games are so often just cheerful and light and fluffy <laughs> right. that uh i feel it's kind of uh kind of a stretch to go into something like this but you know somehow somehow uh the publisher and developer is uh dingling productions llc which i judging from their uh, kind of moby game site it seems like they were either created for this game or as a result of this game, because this is the only thing that they are credited with currently. Um, the designer, writer, composer, artist, you name it, he does it. Uh, Austin Jorgensen uh, actually was a um, uh, kickstart project original game that uh, this kind of spun out of was called uh, was originally called Lisa. Uh, but when the second game came out as a result of that Kickstarter project, the first game was renamed to Lisa the first appropriately enough. Then this entry was uh, named Lisa the painful. There is also a kind of DLC. Um, I don't think we're going to speak too heavily on it uh, because I didn't play it personally, but uh, there is kind of a, a DLC sequel uh, called Lisa the joyful as long as well as a number of fan games uh, that this has inspired amongst its community. So uh, there's kind of a lot of content out there if you do get into the game uh, and are looking for more. RPG Maker VX Ace is the software that was used to create Lisa the Painful RPG. And um, yeah, like I said, it was pretty much the product of uh, Austin Jorgensen almost exclusively uh, with a, a Kickstarter campaign in 2014 that raised just over $16,000 of its $7,000 goal. So uh, you think about some of the budgets for bigger title games and it seems like such a tiny amount of money but he was able to create this whole thing with a uh, kind of a blown away kickstarter goal uh, which is pretty cool he has stated jorgensen has that is that his main source of inspiration both in art and tone was earthbound which is interesting uh and and I'm, i'd like to hear what you guys have to say about it uh it's also been described as a yume nikki clone um which is kind of a, a similarly themed uh game from uh, a few years prior um i i think the um undertale comparison is also pretty easy although that actually came out after this so it probably um i would not be surprised if there were uh some inspirations taken by that crew uh and and those creators so uh first question that i would like to kind of open up uh and and have you all give your opinions on is i have not played earthbound uh, that's not what i want your opinion on i know that's bad <laughs> i would like, i would like to know from those of you that have played earthbound 
do you think this is a an apt comparison? Uh, do you, is it is it something that you would have thought of playing this game to begin with? And you know, are there any other inspirations that come to mind? There are definitely some things that uh, it takes directly from Earthbound, like the um, mm. I don't want to say first person battle type of you know, it's a turn based kind of JRPG style battle system. But the fact that you're not seeing your characters on screen is a very Earthbound touch. Um, you're only seeing the enemies mm-hmm. and then your characters are kind of like menu items at the bottom. Um, that's that's like a more kind of clear, direct Earthbound reference. And then um, Earthbound was kind of revolutionary for being like the suburban modern world RPG, which this game is post-apocalyptic. And so in, in that way, it might, you know, share a little bit more with like Chrono Trigger or games that are set more like in a future type of setting. But uh, it does start off in a rather like mundane suburban modern setting and so i could see that being pulled in Mm -hmm. but i think more than any specific point of inspiration earthbound was kind of the first domino that kicked off a wave of um indie spiritual successors which we we've already named you know i was kind of frantically googling beforehand to try to remember the name of you and nikki because uh i know that's like the one that was like the progenitor of like it was like that second domino, so to speak, um, that a lot of these ended up yeah. kind of like branching out from. And I'm, I'm glad that you included it there in the notes. Uh, but yeah, um, Undertale and uh, a lot of um, a lot of games made in RPG Maker and a lot of horror games made in RPG Maker in particular uh, owe a lot to Earthbound and I think are in conversation with each other. And so if you think of it less like we're directly pulling a lot of our inspiration from this like one singular SNES game, uh, but rather like we are a part of the kind of ongoing conversation within the indie community that is like all kind of stemming back up to a singular point of, of focus. But there's, um, but there's a lot of experimentation and there's a lot of like kind of cross-contamination between all these different creators doing different things with like the general loose earthbound formula. Yeah, I would just say I Ryan said it a lot more eloquent eloquently than I will, but uh, specifically relating to the art, like obviously Lisa is a lot more violent and bloody than Earthbound, but there's something about the character models, the way they kind of walk, the the kind of ambling steps of it, like it, it, you could see kind of some direct comparisons from how maybe some, you know, doorways or some textures and like the way things just kind of look and feel, you could see where that inspiration is drawn from. I'm thinking specifically of the starting town from Earthbound and, and when you're kind of, uh, you know, making your way down the, the hill with Ness and then um, I, I uh, there's a specific moment at the beginning of this game where you actually fall off of a cliff with Brett Armstrong, but um uh, that was very reminiscent of that while, while Earthbound you were kind of coming down this hill to go back into town this game kind of kicked you off the mountain and i kind of felt like that was a little bit of a symbolic throwback to that but other than that aside from like the the way the characters kind of look this game goes more towards the grotesque and, and and we'll talk about that in a bit but um i did see some kind of comparisons there earthbound has its share of darkness and to a degree body horror as well mm-hmm. so you know it's not completely out of left field right the reason that i found out that Olath Olath was a real town was I, I i mean i even having not played earthbound myself i have through things like smash brothers and just in general i have kind of absorbed bits and pieces of of earthbound lore i guess would be would be the word i would say and i i thought 
it's Onet, isn't it? Because I, I, mm-hmm. I was trying to think of what the town name was. It's something like I, but it sounded like a, an earthbound t- uh, mm-hmm. town name. So that was why I Googled it and found out that it's actually in Kansas. Uh, you also do pretty early on, or you can see a character uh, named Lucas, and um, I, I believe that's a, a character as well. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, yeah, so, Mother um, Three. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So the game was released on December 15th, 2014 for PC, Mac, and Linux. As mentioned before, it was the result of a, a very successful Kickstarter campaign. So uh, that's that's kind of where the impetus for the whole thing uh, ended up. The reviews are very positive, uh, even, you know, so, what year is it? <laughs> even seven years after the fact, uh, this is still getting some very positive feedback. Uh, Metacritic has it at a 77 out of eight critical reviews and an 8.6 out of 168 uh, user reviews. Steam, over 10,000 reviews have it at an overwhelmingly positive uh, rating. IMDb has it at 8.4 out of 10 and Google users have it at 4.9 out of 5 stars. Most of the more extended reviews that uh, that I took a look at whilst I was preparing for this show were also pretty positive. I did not see a whole lot of negative press on this, uh, which is kind of surprising given the, regardless of the quality of the game, things that get this kind of popular attention and have this level of kind of delicate content and violent content specifically you would think that there would be, or I would think that there would be at least some kind of kind of kickback to that. And there doesn't seem to have been much, at least not much that surfaces when you are looking up the reactions online. So I did find that really surprising. The sales figures, given that it is a PC slash Kickstarter slash Steam game, are not really something that is surfaceable at the moment, at least not without a subscription to Steam Spy. And I, that, that, it's kind of shaky to me. So uh, uh, we will we will probably uh, be able to assume that it's sold fairly well. But as to what that means, I, I, I don't want to really put numbers into the uh, into the slot here without having a little bit better information. Um, but what we can say is that it is readily available on Steam uh, and goes on sale regularly. I believe it's uh, full price, something around the neighborhood of $10. So it's not outrageously expensive. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where we are with the sales numbers and the kind of overall reception. So I think we're all going to be coming from a relatively similar place Uh, Speaking of our histories with the game, so I'm going to go first and I'm going to say that I have been very immersed in this game over the past couple of days. And it's kind of wild because I um, it it will me personally, it will affect you. um, And it has affected me uh, with both playing the game pretty intensively uh, for the show. I left it a little bit late because I have been trying to platinum Death Stranding, which that's a whole other story. So um, but uh, yeah, I've been playing it pretty intensively over the past couple of days and in preparation for the show have also been reading a lot about it watching a lot of videos so i feel like i'm really kind of deep in the uh the lisa community lore i I don't think i'm necessarily a community person um I, i feel like there's people who would um would consider themselves that well before me but um i i have seen 
I've seen some stuff, guys. And uh, <laughs> I, I feel like coming out of that over the next couple of days is going to be maybe better for my mental health. We'll have to see. Uh, but yes, I did not play this game previously. Uh, I have only played it very recently. Uh, and um, yeah, that's that's uh, where my kind of deep dive has begun and uh, and not quite ended, but getting there, I guess. Um, so Ryan, how about you? Uh, had, had you played this game before or uh, was it just for the show? You know, I I first heard of this one because it was being talked about by the types of people who I usually trust to kind of mm-hmm. have their finger on the pulse of like these kind of indie oddities. You know, it's like mm-hmm. semi-obscure, not super obscure. It's one of those that you're going to run across if you spend like enough time within those types of communities. But it's not one that's like, ubiquitous just everybody it's not like undertale or something like that that big i think i heard about this one from slow beef who was playing it through and kind of like live tweeting through his and i generally kind of trust that you know he's he's got pretty good taste in in games so i bought this one um back in december of 2015 uh, which was a year after it came out and i think i've had it installed on my computer ever since as one of those like you know, this is getting enough critical praise and this is, uh, it seems like an important game. I should give this a try sometime, but it's one of those that I found um, exceptionally difficult to actually motivate myself to sit down and play. <laughs> so all these years yeah. later, I, I finally got around to it for the show. And um, I, I think I was kind of debating whether or not to save this, but I think it's useful context that like i i just wanted to say up front that like i didn't enjoy my time with the game that much and i would have stopped playing it if it was just for my own enjoyment but i i think that that question of like did you like the game is kind of the least interesting question we can get into as far as like critical response and especially more <laughs> of like a long form arts history type of show like like kate on rants like you know get that out of the way like that's not going to like impact the like level of depth that we're going to go into or anything like that but um it, it is something sure. that i just for context had to kind of like self-discipline my way through <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I played it through probably about a month ago i don't anticipate going back to it in the future but um it's i'm glad to have it like checked off the list now you know i have that cultural knowledge i i'm mm-hmm. i have that lisa like knowledge now it's off my list so to speak <laughs> yeah i i agree with that um i i'm in a similar situation like i had it in my steam library i don't know when i bought it but i know that i never played it i i had zero minutes on record mm-hmm. so um i probably did something similar uh, and then picked it up in the steam sale but uh yeah i i, I think that's that's a good point and that's important to say i think that mm. we're just judging from some of the discussions that have happened on the slack channel uh, I I kind of suspect that we're all in a similar place with regard to, and this has big air quotes around it, enjoyment of the game. And, and I mean, I could be completely off base there. And if I am, please tell me, obviously, you know. but that isn't a, that's I, I won't say that's not important because I do think that yeah. it is. I, I yeah, will say too. that it is not it, it's we're not tossing this aside. Yeah. We pl- we play a lot of games for this show that the, and cover a lot of, of games that for the show that, that people loved. really really like i love <laughs> loving things. i i really do like to like video <laughs> games but uh it's important to, it's important to realize that yeah we you know except for duke nukem forever because you know I, I was on that show too but um <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a love-hate relationship. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it is important to recognize that, you know, we don't it, we don't pick these games and, mm-hmm. you know, Leon does not pick these games, yep. especially with the uh, the volume 11 schedule coming out soon, soon, soon. Yeah. Leon does not pick these games based on how many people love this game. It's, you know, is mm-hmm. this game worth talking about? And right. I, I think that it is. And um, and I think that that sounds like, Ryan, what you were getting at. Yeah, we'll still have plenty to talk about. Oh, yes, <laughs> I agree with that completely. Uh, Brian, if I am correct... You played this game in one shot while you were recovering from COVID? That's Wait, one accurate. shot, like one sitting? <laughs> I So, yeah, well, I mean, it wasn't really one sitting because I got had to get up and down to, like, you know, get some water and use the bathroom. But, no, I, I played it in one day. Wow. So I, I got diagnosed with COVID, or I diagnosed, I, you know, I got a test positive for COVID sometime in October. I had this game on my laptop already, and I was like, well, you know, I need to play this for the show. This is the perfect time. I'm kind of quarantined to this room, you know, and it was also one of those things, having a couple small kids, like, I know they're not going to come in and, you know, bother me because my room was basically <laughs> taped off. So, um, so yeah, I decided to, to play Lisa. So I, I started it at about 8 in the morning that day. And then through the course of the day, I think I finished it up about 10 o'clock at night. It took about 12, I want to say 12 hours I had on the clock when I finished it. Um, so I played it in one day uh, while recovering from COVID. And and and, and I talked, Leah, you, you just said it. Um, my feelings of the game were not that positive um, coming out of it for, for a number of reasons that we'll all get into. Uh, but recently, over the last week or so, I went back to it because I was thinking, I'm like, what environment could you put somebody in a game to to like it less you know what i mean i'm already stuck in my room i can't like go out i can't taste anything i can't smell anything i'm feeling like crap like no wonder i didn't like this game and then i went back and i played maybe i don't know the first handful of hours i think my steam clock's at like 18 hours now so maybe i played another six hours um starting from the beginning and, and my opinion didn't really change much after i this is unrelated but after i think thought about it another game i played when i was recovering from co- uh, covid was the forgotten city and i loved that game so mm. it so i guess recovering from covid doesn't really impact how much i love or did not like a game um but yeah i did i played it in one <laughs> basically one shot one day and then i've been back to it over the last week or so you know kind of poking at it going around seeing if i could unlock any of the other um you know uh companions which we'll talk about and just kind of seeing more of it to and this is going to sound really negative, but I, I think you'll know what I mean to see if there was something that was a little bit more redeemable for me when thinking back on it. Um, and and yeah. just I, to be honest up front, I didn't didn't find a whole lot, uh, but there's still a lot to talk about, like you said. So I'm not I'm not saying not writing it off completely, but um, but yeah, so probably about 18 hours I've spent with Lisa. Josh, I don't really know what your context is for this game. So uh, please do share. Yeah. So. I was aware of this game before it was put in the schedule. Um, if you follow certain YouTubers, certain content creators, like this game was talked about. Um, H-Bomber guy four years ago did like a broad overview of the entire Lisa series, so including the freeware game and the DLC. And I knew, I knew going in that there was some rough stuff in there. You know, for, for, I think personal context is just as important as the context around this game. Like, I am totally open to media and experiences that go to dark places. Like, if you listen to the issue on The Last of Us 2, I was very much in defense of the content and how it was depicted in that game. You know, I love movies like The Road, like some of my favorite TV shows are pretty bleak. We'll get into the reasonings why I feel like this doesn't work, but I I was 
not prepared for how dark and how grim this game gets to the point where, you know, I had previously thought I was pretty hardened to certain content and that wasn't the case hmm. here. Uh, it broke broke down that barrier uh, pretty effectively. So, yeah, um, I finished it today. Um, so I'm coming into this this recording quite fresh. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> This is so cheerful. I'm I'm so glad that we're all gathered together for this. Yeah, I I that I, I am in a similar situation. I love horror content, games and films and TV. I don't know that there was anything here that necessarily shocked me in a way that I was not really expecting, but I think had I not known anything about the game beforehand, it really would have. It's difficult for me personally to get to a place where I want to play a game like this. I haven't played The Last of Us 2 yet because I can't make myself do it. Like, I need to be in a good place so that when this game brings me down, like, I know I'm going to enjoy it. I, I'm pretty sure. But also, I, I know that it's going to have an effect. And yeah. I, I think that having to prepare myself for something like this that I knew was going to be a downer, to put it lightly. Um, that's kind of why that and, you know, Death Stranding, as I mentioned before, um, that it was kind of why I left it till I I was going to just really cram everything into my brain at once. Yeah. I, so, you're just juggling stuff. Lisa the painful and Kojima the painful. So, I mean, uh, it's, not right. <laughs> it's painful in a different way, though. Uh, <laughs> this is painful in like a, oh, God, I, I don't need this way. Kojima is more painful in like a, well, I have to get this load of packages over to the complete other side <laughs> of the map in three minutes and 38 seconds or else I don't get that trophy. I think the absence of an editor is probably what makes his experience. Experience is painful, but there we go. I mean, we're, part of it. we're kind of we're kind of leaning in this territory, so I, I'm just going to dive headfirst, if that's all right, Leah. Yeah, please, I think so. We've talked around the fact that like the content of this game is quite severe and quite grim, and a, a lot of my thoughts post completion today has has revolved around why am I okay? Why why am I totally okay with the severe, the severity of the violence, the severity of the content in something like The Last of Us Two. Um, why am I okay with the, the the subject matter that's depicted in something like Disco Elysium, which arguably goes into similar territory as this game? Yeah. Um, but I'm not okay with it here. And the conclusion that I've drawn, I've come up with, is the total an utter absence of any humanity whatsoever in from any character, any person that exists in this world. You know, there are games that cover similar subject matter and similar content um, and really go there, right? But they, it still depicts community. It still depicts love. It still depicts connection. It still depicts those things. And it's not doing it in a sentimental way it's doing it in a realistic way like this stuff still exists even when things are at their worst like even when things are unbearably awful there are people who do the right thing <laughs> there are people who uh build community there are people who try 
you know, even if they fail, they try. Like Brad is the in this game is the closest thing. I'm just going to say that we yep. have to somebody who's trying to do the right thing, and he's still in the wrong. Ultimately, he's still a reprehensible That's a real character, kick, in my opinion. Yeah, because like you think you are led to believe that that this is all a care-based thing that he is doing. But it's obsession. And then the end of the game just really kicks you in the teeth when you find out that is not the case at all. Like, he has been pursuing this for completely the wrong reasons. Uh, because of drugs, because of trauma that he personally suffered himself when he was younger, and, and just the whole combination of everything. Like, he doesn't... It, it, it didn't have to be her. It could have been anything, really... And it would have been a similar situation. I do want to get to uh, some more of the context. Um, we, we've already talked about the uh, the kind of general scenario. There is an event called The Flash that results in the extinction of women that they know of, aside from the uh, aside from Buddy, who is the baby that Brad finds. There, you, you get kind of a montage of scenes of her growing up in secret until she's, I'd say, like early teens, maybe preteen. Um, she's she's a very young, very young woman. Very. Uh, yeah, and she's a child. Then she's a she child. is discovered. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, okay. I mean, Thank that's, you. Yes. I, I just feel like there's I, I feel like I need to cross that uh, to, to draw that line now, because that is where a lot of my uncomfortability with a lot of the content comes from. Yeah. Because yeah. whether or yes. not she do, is of an older age or not, she is depicted in this game as a child. And I think that matters. Yeah. At least to me, yes. it matters. No, I, I, I agree. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, she she is. She's very young uh, and she is discovered. She is abducted and her uh, protectors up until that point, which are um, Brad and his uh I guess they would be childhood friends, kind of. You you see uh, at the very beginning of the game, you get a uh, a series of scenes of him with these people pre The Flash. Apparently, they have kind of stuck around each other, even post-apocalypse. So uh, they had been assisting him in protecting her up to that point. She is abducted and they are very badly injured. And Brad takes it upon himself to go out and search for her and to track her down, ostensibly to save her from whatever terrible things yeah. are going to happen to her. And in a world full of men who have not seen a woman since the extinction of half the race, you can probably imagine what kind of horrible things he immediately assumes are going to happen to her, and he is not wrong. So you meet along the way uh, both a number of hostile creatures and people, and also a number of characters that you can recruit into your party, some of whom have uh, very different uh, ways that you need to do so. Sometimes you need to pay them. Sometimes you need to bring them an item or an object. Sometimes you need to defeat them in combat. It's there's, you know, a, a number of different things that you can do in order to uh, maintain your relationship with these people. Sometimes you just need to bring them back their chicken. Sometimes that's what you need to do. Yeah, sometimes you do. <laughs> And if you are uh, Terry, Terry Hints, the uh, the tutorial party member, basically, um, sometimes you can't get rid of him, uh, no matter how hard you know. Well, no, you can get rid of him. Uh, there is a very definitive way you can get rid of him. Uh, but um, 
basically just gloms onto you. And unless you make a choice to have something bad happen to him, he will stick with you. Um, I actually lost him by accident. Um, he got taken from me in one of the um, uh, one of the campfires. Yeah. So you are uh, you're not even safe at save points. Um, yeah. You have a chance. And from what I can tell, it's a pretty good chance of something happening that something can be anything from your party gets poisoned to there's a creepy dude standing over you when you wake up to a party member gets abducted and taken away and you have to either go get them which involves not actually fighting the people who took him because then they will just kill him as i found out to my detriment but yeah there's it's this game is very hostile and um, yeah. hostile to you as a player, as well as hostile to its characters. And I I found that to be part of what ground me down about the game. What do you guys think of that? I mean, difficulty wise, I think I actually like so th- there, there are certain mechanics and, and systems in the game that I actually like in terms of its hostility. Mm-hmm. I actually like the whole, you know, resting at a campfire and something creepy might happen mm-hmm. is such like that's a good like if that was in like a survival horror game it would be like praised right like that's a cool idea but then it's but the constant hostility of everyone you meet is something that i find to, to be frank unbelievable mm-hmm. the game also forces situations of cruelty that mm-hmm. i find you know borderline comical like and it's not well there's there's one scene in particular that is actually played for laughs, but I didn't find it funny at all. Is it the orphanage? Yeah, yeah. it's the orphanage. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, I just, God. You want to talk yeah. about that? So just, just for the listeners, because I, I, I imagine this is one of those issues where a lot of people are going to be listening who haven't played the game. Yeah. You, you encounter this orphanage, and the guy who runs the orphanage uh, notices that one of the kids lights a match, and he's like, Right, uh, could you could you pass me that bucket of water over there so we can put out the match? Initially, first time through, I picked up the bucket uh, that's closest to you and just sprayed it over the kids. And it turns out it's gasoline. They all go on fire. I'm like, oh, my God. I should have gone up. I should have explored more. Right. Okay. So I'm going to reload the save, go back, and then go get that other bucket. But if you try to do that... Um, the guy says, uh, excuse me, I want you to get that bucket. And it forces yep. you to pick up the bucket with mm. gasoline. And that's the point where I'm like, okay, I know what kind of game you are now. Like this isn't about, because mm-hmm. I, I would have I respected the gasoline thing if it was an actual choice, if it was a genuine, genuinely punishing you for lack of ob- observation. But it's not doing that. It's just punishing you full stop. For just yeah. being in this world, and by the t- so then you have to go through this platforming section to get the the actual bucket of water to save the kids that are now on fire. But by the time you get back 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 down, they're dead. But it's 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 treated as a punchline. It's like oh, mm-hmm. this is only the second worst thing that's happened to me, and I'm like, 
that's like five kids that have burnt alive. Like that's not funny. <laughs> and and I yeah. don't, un- and I don't understand the mind that thinks that's funny. So I can, <laughs> this is going to, this is going to make me sound like a terrible person, Josh, but I can actually see a context where I would find a gag like that. funny. Yeah. I just don't okay, feel like enough. it's earned in this game at all. Yeah. So, that's fair. so like yeah. the orphan is very early on. It's one of the first places you can go to because uh, as I see in our show notes, yeah. we'll talk about before kind of the pathing in this game is fairly convoluted so yeah you can get to this orphanage and do all that but then throughout the rest of the game like the context of that quote-unquote joke is never repeated never followed through there's nothing else about the game that tells me that i should take anything about it other than deathly serious or at least like just morbid and grotesque like it there's nothing about the context of the game that makes that scene fit in with anything other than just to be an excuse to set a bunch of kids on fire yeah, yeah. It, it's I, I have a a list of notes as i always do for the show and the first <laughs> note on the show was talk about the orphanage so thank you josh because um, that, that's <laughs> that's the number one thing i think there's there's enough humor throughout the game kind of sprinkled here and there like the the Wally's scene where there's like a, a, a fast food drive-through call box that oh, yeah. people assume yep. is like a the 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 voice of god like that's kind of funny and um i i think there's some kind of humor in the like situations you end up at the um that uh, uh was it the kind of like prostitution house a lot of their reactions and a lot of the like interactions that take place in that house in particular feel very kind of like kind of like bordering on like sweet and human and real in a way that like have little hints of comedy in there as well. Um, Some of the characters you run across are just so absurd that like there is like a, uh, there is kind of like you, you just kind of have to laugh every once in a while, even though there is always an edge of darkness. Like there's a little bit of a, a little bit of that kind of like almost like borderlands absurdity to it. So like there, there's one part that I can think of specifically where I thought that to Ryan was it's um, close to the end. I forget the character's name. I'm going to I'm going to butcher it. Um, it's one of the characters that's kind of been uh, from your childhood, one of the bullies that you're chasing around throughout the entire game. And you end up having a race right near the end of the game where mm-hmm. that character's on a deer, like on a doe. And then you are on your bike and you're kind of going over these ramps and everything. It's really like kind of silly and goofy. And the music is kind of like like and I remember actually playing that being like, you know, what is this game? Like, what is it? But then at the end of that race, after you beat that character, he pulls out a shotgun and shoots himself in the face. And I was like, he kills the deer. Oh, that's what this game is like. So I just feel like every even and maybe this is this might be more of a me problem, but like anytime it even approached that level of whimsy, it just took me out of it almost immediately with something so dark or so like grim that I just couldn't come back. I don't. Yeah. But that. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. That might just be a me a me problem. But no, no, I, no, you, I don't you think are so. T- you, you, you kind of articulated something I, I was failing to articulate. It, it, it's it, it feels like it's trying to use humor as comic relief for the misery but the two things are too close to each other uh for the comedy to do what it needs to do in order to heal you and it and it just makes some of the violence baffling as well it kind of robs some of the 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 violence of its impact because you're like what 
what is the tone here? What, what what are you going for? Like, like, like in an ideal world, some of you know that suicide scene that you just described, Brian, that would have narrative weight, emotional weight, because it like this is not in like a I've lost a you don't like that character. He's a childhood bully, right? Yeah. But it's still it it yeah. can still be imbued with power. But it didn't. It was robbed of that because it was. It came immediately after a kind of silly, like arcade racing sequence, and I feel I feel that way. Like the the Power Ranger thing, like as well. Like that just felt completely out of place. That felt like something out of a Fallout game, not this game. If that mm. makes sense, that would have been totally. You know, in terms of the tone that Fallout 3 goes for specifically, if Power Rangers came out of the post-apocalyptic wilderness, great, yeah, no, that 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 makes sense. But in this game, when we're talking about child abuse and rape, like pick a, like I just want to tell the the writer to pick a lane uh, if that makes sense. It, it just it doesn't work for me at all. I think for me, it is a very confusing kind of juxtaposition because I, I I don't mind dark humor. Like it, yeah. it can be pretty dark and I'm okay with that. Like I will laugh at some stuff that I would not admit to you guys because I think it's funny. But in this game, for some reason, I think that it's just that it's taking itself too seriously in some points. Like it's not taking itself seriously enough in, in others. And the, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's got a really great handle on when it needs to put weight on things like i agree <laughs> i actually it's it's funny you bring up the deer because that was one of the things that i thought not not the actual racing part but like just the fact that you see this guy a few times and he is always riding on the deer which is named Spaghetti. yeah and he's and he's kind of like comically huge compared to the size of the deer like yeah. he's got a big spike in his like, helmet right, and that's yeah. kind of Exa funny. right exactly there's a bit uh where the the way that you get uh terry your your first party member on your team is he's trapped in a tree and there's a like a little tiny dog down there that's barking at him. And he says that he can't he can't dispose of the, the dog because he's pulled his groin. And I'm like, OK, all right. That's, that's <laughs> silly. That's that's funny, you know. And I'm kind of surprised that you do have to fight the dog. But like, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't have you do something really messed up to the dog, like just to get him out of the tree, because that felt like it would have fit more in this right. game than that did. Um, but but at that point, I didn't know that yet because it was it was still pretty early and it hadn't established the tone where I, I just feel like it goes too far sometimes. And and I, I don't I can't quite put my finger on it because like I said, I, I do I do like dark humor uh sometimes and I on paper this seems like the kind of game that I should really like and it just kind of ended up making me uncomfortable and I'm not sure why that is. So I'm hoping that I come away from this podcast with a slightly better understanding of my own psyche. Um not to put too much pressure on you guys or anything. <laughs> yeah, no the tone and, and I have in the notes here um, to, to talk about the visuals, uh, and I'm wondering if that has a um, if that's part of why it feels so inappropriate that these terrible things are happening. Do you think that there is a disconnect between the visuals and the the darkness of the subject matter, or is it you know does, does that is that not an issue? 
What do you guys think? I think the vigils really actually support kind of the grim darkness of it. Ooh. I am particularly, okay. uh, I, I don't want to say I'm in love with, because uh, I, I, I don't, I, maybe I am. I'm in love with the design of the joy mutants. Mm. Like every one of those mm. is like these kind of humans that have been twisted into these worms, spider, like, like I think they're legit creepy. You have that one snake guy who's kind of coiled like rope all through the cave and you kind of get yeah. it around to his head. Like there's a lot of like, really kind of bizarre grotesque anatomy stuff like body horror stuff that i could see making some people uncomfortable that i just thought was like ingenious and inventive there's the one guy you come across it's early on he's sitting by a tank and he's dead and then you end up coming back to him later and he's turned into a joy mutant and his his eyes have been kind of yeah. like pulled down along his face so he has no no nose or mouth anymore he's just got these two like long ocular cavities and it's just like it's gross but like i thought it was like a really nice physical representation of what was happening to the people who are addicted to, you know, to, to this drug. And um, so I really think some of the visual design is 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 pretty effective. Um, it's one of the one of the things I'm highest on uh, from the game, to be honest. And the mm. fact that it is also low detail in the artwork as well really kind of forces your mind to fill in a lot of the gaps, which mm. yeah. makes yeah. those kind of grotesque creatures uh, even more kind of, you know, Lovecraftian in a way because you're kind of guessing as to like, what does it actually look like? What is this meant to depict? I, I don't think the visual design is an issue with the, you know, the disconnect that I, I sense we're kind of all having with this game. Cause there are definitely examples of, um, you know, the, the contrast between visuals and the subject matter being discussed is actually always a strong choice for me. Like Cave Story does a similar thing where it's all like deliberately evoking the SNES era with really upbeat, music all of that but then like there are some set pieces and story moments in that game that are really dark and go places but it it feels more impactful in that game it feels more purposeful it feels more tactful in that game i think yeah like i i think the visuals are, are doing a bang up job of what they need to do of uh, as of doing exactly what ryan said but also like you know giving giving people and places personality that I think sometimes the writing doesn't do. Yeah, I that's that's some good points there. I want to read a uh, piece of correspondence. We didn't have a ton, but we did have a few uh, nice uh, comments from some people on our forum, com slash forum, where we always have a thread dedicated to the next recording that is going to be uh, done for that volume. Uh, this is from DeMonth, who says, I don't really have too much to say because I only got three hours in. As much as I want to love this, the graphics, particularly the battle UI, put me off too much to care. It's not horrible, just the font choices and such were too boring to look at. So uh, I we spoke briefly about, uh, I think, Ryan, you spoke about the uh, the battle kind of UI and how that, that reflects things like Earthbound mm -hmm. that have something similar. So I, I want to drill down on the visuals a little bit more in that specifically. The only other thing that I will mention uh, is that um, the backgrounds reminded me a lot of like Mario Brothers backgrounds, like the um, just kind of the uh, the grasslands wavy bits, not in the battle, just uh, in general. And they repeat a lot. And I thought that they were maybe a little too repetitive because I got lost a lot. Yeah. Um, so I that was my one real issue with the visuals battle wise, in my opinion, um, it 
it I thought that it it read pretty well. Like it was it was pretty clear. Um, there were um, not a whole lot of animations, although there are some if you have some of the characters who um, you can kind of do active combos with. They they will do some different animations, and of course, you know if you have an interesting party member, maybe you just like to look at their sprite as it's falling over on something like goose. Was it geese? Geese. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, I guess what I'm going for is, uh, I don't, I don't think that I'm reading that we really agree with the, uh, the graphics being an off-putting thing, but, um, were there any pieces of them that you guys thought took you out of the experience at all? Like me with the backgrounds, for example. I mean, if we want to go back to the kind of original topic of like the way that the game is kind of hostile to its players, um, navigating the overworld, this does play into the graphics as well. Like it's a, uh, there are like, it's a, it's kind of a scrolling screen up to a point, but there are kind of like cutoffs between screens. And I found that they, uh, they very often liked to put a bottomless pit right on the other side of a screen transition. Oh God. So yep. the yeah. number of times that on the yeah. bicycle, you have to like react immediately to stop the bicycle in time to not go sailing over the cliff. And then it's not a game that really auto saves you along the way as well. Nope. Uh, and so, you know, I've, I've been having a few of these frustrations in Metroid Dread recently where it's like, I've just lost half hour of progress because I didn't go to a save point and I made a very stupid mistake or almost like the game kind of played a trick on me. It's like they knew that people would be kind of, you know, flying across the screen transition. They put the cliff right there. Yeah, I I think it's interesting that like the entire world visually is made up of these kind of multi-leveled mesas. But um, but just the, the fact that it so often kind of led to these really cheap and really unenjoyable deaths uh it's really kind of put me off i i just yeah i'm I'm glad you brought it up ryan because it was one of my continuing chief gameplay frustrations <laughs> with this was especially when i i had died to a boss a few times and it was just kind of getting back to where i mm-hmm. was you know um that the the, the journey to the boss just turning a corner and just immediately dropping off. And it's an insta-death. Like, I feel like games more recently, even from software, has kind of dialed that back, right? In Sekiro, if you drop off, if you drop into a bottomless pit, they just spawn you uh, where you were with some some health cut off. It feels like something that's been phased out in modern game development. And to, to encounter it here is so... It clangs so hard, especially when... You know, there are instances where you get party wipes and it and it doesn't game over either. It, it seems really yeah. unforgiving. Yeah, there there's multiple times I can remember where I was just I had lined up like the jump wrong, like to to go up and down, you know, because you don't really have a jump button. You do get an essential jump when you get the bicycle because you can go over that kind of one block gap with the bike and but yeah it just like you could just be doing something simple i remember it was in the third main area i was going back to the one shopkeeper just to get a few more healing items because (laughs) fun fun note at the end of area two they took all of my items that i had and so i was going back to try to get some healing stuff and i just kind of made like a like a just a wrong arrow combination on the keyboard and fall to my death and lost like 30 minutes of progress and it's just like oh like in a game that's already built on being so harsh like, I feel like that really wasn't my fault. You know what I mean? Like, 
and that's a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of what the game this game kind of does to you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that would be really into that. Um, we're going to talk, I'm sure, upcoming soon about losing of party members and things like that. But there's a lot that this game throws at you that you really had no means to prepare for. Um, yeah. and it, and it does, and it does mm-hmm. probably feel intentionally unfair. I'm sure. I mean, it is called the painful RPG, so I'm sure that it, there was some intent there, but, um, it, it did not, it, maybe, it, maybe me talking about it like this, maybe it had the de- desired effect. I'm not sure. So something that, um, that actually made me think of when you said it's called the painful RPG, uh, I did not mention this earlier, but there are two game modes, uh, one of which is like the normal mode and then one of which is pain mode, which, uh, as I understand it, ups the difficulty, uh, up to and including adding bosses. Uh, did any of you play in pain mode? I did not. You could not pay me to play in pain mode. Yeah, I'm the same way. I kind of figured, but you know, yeah, that that option is there for for those that would like it. Uh, it is definitely a thing that you can do. Um, like I said, I believe I, I I'm not sure Go how it affects God. the uh, <laughs> the actual uh, combat difficulty proper. Uh, but I do know that it does add additional encounters. Actually, speaking um, of, if, so if we can I'm, talk about the combat for a second, I really did like the combat sure. system. Mm-hmm. I liked mm-hmm. the, you know, remembering move combos, you know, just kind of uh, yeah. for Brad. I, I thought that was neat. It reminded me of kind of, I played um, a game last year called Treachery and Beatdown City, which is kind mm-hmm. of like a turn-based mm-hmm. beat-em-up, and it really reminded me of that, and I'm sure that maybe, I mean, it came out much later than Lisa, so maybe it took some, some reason for that, but yeah, I really really that that was kind of engaging me it made me think about each battle and i was i was actively engaged and because the game is is very difficult in parts you you can't really turn away but i liked memorizing those combos and there there's it's actually it's related to something about the game that i really didn't like but as you get further along my brad armstrong by the end of the game had no arms same so yeah. there was a move that he did that was like a wrestling suplex move that i could no longer do because he had no arms so like my move combo switched based on that and even though i kind of loathe the reason i didn't have arms it was interesting from a combat perspective because like, yeah, I'm not going to suplex a guy because I don't have any arms. So now I had a dropkick move and like a headbutt move I could do. And so I, I did really I, every battle I was in, I, w- I was fully engaged with. And, and I thought they they did a pretty good job of making it difficulty appropriate for where you were in the game. I I did have a couple party wipes that were that were difficult. I ended up save scumming a bit towards the end just because I frankly, I just needed to see it yeah. through. But it never that the battle system never felt particularly unfair. I always felt like I was in a position where I could win those fights. Yeah. Yeah. The different characters oftentimes have different little mini games that you have to play to initiate their attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of reminds me of like Paper Mario in that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was that was really fun. And the fact that like you didn't need to play those little mini games if you didn't want to, like most of the time you could kind of circumvent it, like even with Brad's stuff. You could go into his like skills menu and automatically trigger the attacks. But if you did it manually, then you would get like the standard attacks leading up to the special. Whereas if you just did it from the skills menu, menu you would only get the special attack and you wouldn't get those few extra points of damage for the um, kind of manual inputs. And so it was a nice way of kind of balancing out for different yeah. types of players and rewarding those who do want to put in that extra effort to memorize or at least uh, check the skills menu, read up on the code that you want to enter, and then go back to the uh, previous layer of the menu. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, and to go back to something, Brian, that you were saying, I want to talk a little bit about um, the choices that 
ca- like capital C choices yeah. that you uh, that you make in this game. You are forced into a few choices. There's at least I don't even know four or five choices that you have to make. Um, they can result. Usually, the big type of choice is between making Brad weaker, your your main protagonist, making Brad weaker in some way, or having a consequence applied to one or more of your party members, of other characters, um, such as Buddy yeah. uh, in one horrifyingly Yeah, that's, that's the one I definitely want to talk about when we get there. Sequence. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I want to I, I do want to talk about that choice system um, before we do that, though, uh, I want to make sure that we get in uh, a, a little bit of discussion on the audio um, while we're before we leave presentation behind completely. Well, I guess we won't leave it behind completely because it is kind of a big part of this game. But um, on paper, this seems like a soundtrack that I would love. And I just really didn't have a terribly strong reaction to it. I did not think it was bad. I thought it was fitting. But it didn't stick out to me in the way that something like uh, the, the comparison that really struck me was like a Hotline Miami soundtrack. So I am really curious to hear what you guys thought of that, because it is something that I ran into a lot when I was kind of doing research as, as something that people thought stood out about this game. And for whatever reason, it it kind of didn't for me. I, I'm I'm gonna say it's it's probably my favorite thing about the game. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. That 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 main theme that plays when you go to certain village hubs. Mm-hmm. Um. I I think everyone knows which, and they do like it's kind of like a light motif as well. They they do um different versions of it depending on where you are, and they do some weird effect because there are also moments where the the music is actually played in the scene itself. So there are like boom boxes set up by characters where and you could turn them off in fact um to to turn off the music for the scene but yeah i i i think the music has a really strong identity it's a lot slower and and more atmospheric than uh, i'm used to especially from from this genre like this is kind of like a jrpg but in a setting that a japanese rpg would never be in mm. so like having having this style of music for this kind of combat and this kind of uh, visual style is kind of compelling and and novel. Um, so yeah, I I, re- I I genuinely really enjoyed the musical identity of this game. Yeah, I'm 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 much of the same. I really like the the battle theme for like the for just like your kind of like your non boss battles, your non important battles. It's like this weird kind of almost late eighties, early nineties hip hop beat with just a, a chant in the back. And I don't know what they say, but to me, it sounds like they're yelling sports, which is really funny to me for some reason. Like, <laughs> and, that, and that just makes me like that. The music in this game definitely um, drew me in right away. Um, it also does uh, those nice things. Um, the transitions like you were talking about amongst like the flashback scenes or when you get kind of ambushed by the joy gang, the joy mob, they're like these really kind of horror and haunting music. I think, I think the music is used very effectively. It probably was my high point of the game too, Josh. Um, but I, I've, I haven't found myself going back and listening to it. I don't think it would bring me any joy to listen to outside of the context of the game. It barely brought me joy in the game. I just thought it was quality. If that makes sense. That's the thing I have trouble kind of separating as well. Um, like I, I really liked that uh, main overworld theme, but I was having a hard time kind of parsing apart in my mind whether it's because I was 
familiar with it beforehand because it's something that people have requested on Sound of Play at least like two or three times. Um, it's a piece of music that I've kind of just heard around in the video game music space. Uh, and it's a really weird piece of music. I remember distinctly not liking it the first time that I heard it because it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it has kind of a really mellow backing electronica type of, uh, or or almost like an elevator music type of, of uh, kind of driving line. And then butts in with some really unenthusiastically played brass, um, which just feels like they're just kind of like barely farting along with the melody. <laughs> and then a, like a really weird drum fill out of nowhere that echoes and reverbs around this sonic space that just like makes no sense in the context of the song. But the fact that it's all so unexpected and discordant, it really like over time and over the years of like hearing this song again and again, like it, it did grow on me a lot. And so I think when I heard it in the song or in the uh, context of the game, I really perked up and I was like, yeah, this is my jam. But I, I don't know whether it was because it fits so well in the context of the game, which it certainly does. Like it matches the weirdness of the game. I don't know whether it was, whether I was excited because, yeah, this is, this is all clicking and all makes sense now. Or if it was because this is something familiar that I can anchor myself onto through this otherwise kind of cruel experience. Well, I'm glad I, I'm actually very glad that um, you guys had a stronger reaction to the music than I did. I just I really don't know why I maybe I was I was just uh, kind of already predisposed to be negative because I wasn't enjoying the game. I don't know. I like I said I didn't dislike the music. It just kind of left me flat. So um, I'm I'm glad it was not a universal thing. I thought I thought maybe uh, I thought maybe it would be, and I'm glad. There is no voice acting in this game, um, which I think is fine. I didn't really miss it. I don't think that there would have been a lot gained if there was. This just doesn't seem like the type of game uh, to me that that I think really needed it. And, and given the budget for the game, I, I'd question oh, the, yeah. cali- <laughs> the caliber of voice acting it would receive, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's appropriate for the um, the era that it's drawing on as well, right? It, it, it wants, even though the content is obviously what it is, it wants you to compare it to something like Earthbound, something like Final Fantasy VI, right? So it wants to be in that that um, that catalog. Yeah. The lack of voice mm-hmm. acting as well really suits this particular game. And I think like for the same reason that the lack of character... Uh, animation in a lot of ways because so much of this game is kind of like its central thesis is an exploration of toxic masculinity and like what would mm-hmm. the world look like if only the most toxic rules of masculinity applied anymore and there were no more rules at all anywhere and so the fact that like you're reading everything said without you know the inflection and the performance that an actor would give it the fact that like the characters faces aren't you know expressing and emoting in the same way that would be if it was like a 3d mass effect style game or something like that like all of this suits a very kind of subdued a very non-expressive a very kind of you know masculine presentation that uh the game i think ultimately benefits a lot from there is a lot of uh kind of fan art and and that kind of thing out there and some of it done in the more like realistic style which to me just kind of looks wrong like i mean it it's 
these people are clearly very talented and you know it is it is technically great stuff but it just these characters to me do not like they are intentionally kind of caricatures at the same time as being characters so mm -hmm. i it it doesn't look right to me to see a realistic brad <laughs> it just <laughs> yeah. that doesn't In work fact, the steam icon for this game is very realistic so i was kind of shocked when i um when i got into it because like it's this like really realistic uh drawing of this hulking brad you know he's got this giant head and it's like this big shoulders and like the little girl in his arms i'm like oh what's this game and then and then you get into the game and it is just that pixel style so yeah there's a lot there's a lot yeah. of things out there like that so we've uh, spoken about Brad quite a bit and Buddy, who is the last girl, um, capital L, capital G. I want to just kind of breeze through some of the other characters. Uh, the main antagonists that you deal with, uh, Buzzo, who is a, um, by and large, he's actually, he might be the only one who makes you make choices. Is is that correct? Does anybody, can anybody think of anything else that makes you make I those think, choices? I uh, think you can say that Buddy does towards the end there regarding mm -hmm. a particular mm -hmm. fight. Okay. All right. Yeah. But primarily, I will say that, uh, that Buzzo is someone who you do not seem to have a, um, a pre-existing relationship with. Uh, you can kind of find clues, uh, particularly throughout the latter stages of the game, that kind of fill you in on that a little bit. And I believe, um, I, I don't know if anybody has actually played, I, I suspect not, the uh, the kind of DLC, the Lisa the Joyful. Uh, but from what I understand, it is a uh, kind of a deeper look at uh, focusing uh, the background of both Buzzo and Rando. And um, I... I I'm interested in that. I wonder if it I'm not interested enough to really want to play the DLC, but I am interested in kind of knowing a bit more about how they got to yeah. that point. I, I don't really know what the solution of that is other than to just read a Wikipedia synopsis. So that's probably what I'll do. But um, and then Rando, Rando is more interesting to me than most of the other characters. Uh, so Rando is set up as this kind of big, scary, bad guy. Uh, you hear their name. I, I think it, I think they refer to him as he. They refer to him early on when you very first bring Buddy back to the uh, kind of settlement or home uh, as saying, oh, we should take her to Rando's men. You know, they'll know what to do with her. They're better equipped for this. And he's kind of set up as this big, like, warlord almost of the apocalypse and uh yeah, I, I immediately thought of him as like immerton joe from mad max fury road yes so that was kind of my my stand in yeah. in my brain of who i was thinking rando was yeah and then when you actually finally see rando which you do a little ways into the game it's not super late uh you know he he cuts this very imposing figure he's got like a red skull mask on all dressed in black you know big cape spikes on his helmet but he seems to be kind of a uh, polite person, uh, like not not very aggressive towards you at all, at least not uh, not any time that uh, that I saw him early on in the game. Um, he, he's really not as you were expecting. Uh, he, he obviously is in control of a group that commits a lot of atrocities, has probably done a lot of that himself. Um, but uh, it's it's kind of surprising that, you know, and you, you do find out more a, a bit more about what the deal with him is. But um, 
Yeah, that that I thought was was more interesting than all of these kind of bad guys who just stalk up to you and have a mohawk or <laughs> right. a uh, yeah. an eye patch or spikes on their helmet or whatever and are just generic apocalypse bad guy number 12 and are going to cut you into pieces. Yeah. I thought that Rando was more interesting. I tend personally. to agree. I, f- I feel like there's the... Um the beginnings of an interesting character of Rando, because mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of like the the puppet head of state, right? Like mm-hmm. he's he's there as a symbol, he's there as a imposing presence, but I get the sense that Rando's not really calling the shots. It's like his his organization, his nation, for lack of a better word, like it's kind of just a force of nature unto itself with like some kind of guiding light. And yeah, like I, I that, that if if the game at all dived into that, that that's a really compelling subject matter. The idea of like I'm suddenly responsible for the deaths of God knows how many people and I I, I don't even feel like I'm in control. That's that's really rich. But the game doesn't really tap into that. I, I think the the character, the antagonist that it focuses much more on is is Bozo, who, yeah. at least within this game, I can't speak to the DLC because I haven't played it, but in this game, he just comes off as an unforgivable sadist. <laughs> they hint at the fact that there's some kind of relationship between um himself and Brad that maybe there's a reason why he's acting the way he is but the actions that Buzzo takes no backstory no thing that Brad could have done to him in the past can justify how far Buzzo goes yeah Brian you wanted to talk cuz we kind of I feel like this is the appropriate point to talk about the the choices because Buzzo is just so focused on the choices. There is a choice later on. I want to say it's between and, and bro- part uh, area two and three is what I kind of were calling them, but like three yeah. acts of the game, really. And and I want to give you space to talk about this, Brian. But I'll set it up like uh, you. Buzzo has Buddy literally like is holding on to her with his with his bare hands and gives you a choice you can either sacrifice your entire party that you have currently in your roster or i'm going to cut this child's nipple off like as dark as the game had gotten like this scene really really destroyed me brian like i imagine you felt Similarly. Yeah, that was the that was the getting off the rails point for me. Like I yeah. I was forced to make that choice. There's no good choice there, obviously. And that and that's kind of the point. I understand that, but just the brutality and kind of like the sexual mutilation of the one choice mm-hmm. versus the murdering of all your party members was an incredibly difficult choice to make. It kind of broke my morality meter for the game it broke me having any type of sympathy for anyone in this game i ended up choosing to spare the lives of the four people three people i was with and 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 sure as hell um buzzo cut off um buddy's nipple and then it becomes an inventory item yeah it's an accessory with you wear it the entire rest of the Uh game and then and not to jump too far forward you get to the final kind of, I guess, island, you can call it, because you need to make the boat or whatever to get over there or collect all the parts for the whatever they call it, speedster boat, whatever it is. And then you get over there and you find out that the only reason your party members were with you 
were to get closer to Buddy to have a chance to sexually assault her, and you end up having to fight yeah. all of them. And I wanted to throw up because thinking about that part of the choice, I would have killed them all back then. Sure, it would have made it hard yeah. for me, but like, like that 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 impossible choice that ends up turning on your head as a character and from a narrative, it made me feel gross yeah from that mm-hmm. point on that was like and, and there were parts of before that that really bothered me there's a russian roulette scene i saw ryan talking about it i believe it was on the slack cater and slack yeah that was really frustrating <sighs> yeah. and disturbing there's uh the scene with the dj uh-huh. who ends up hanging himself that was very disturbing there there's a bunch of little things through uh, like uh, but uh my brad had already lost an arm that was very disturbing but that was the moment for me that i was just like i think i'm out like, I finished it and I went back to it because I really wanted to make sure I was giving it the game its due diligence because it does do things we already talked about that I liked. It just for that point with me, like I even if that game had turned a narrative corner, I was really no longer interesting in anything I had to say fair or unfair. Yeah, that was when I was emotionally done with Lisa. If I can speak towards a couple of those points towards the end, this is not in the game's defense or anything, because I think that a lot of this does go way far beyond the like realm of taste but uh i think the, the the part at the end of the game where you have to fight whoever is in your party at the time because they've uh let slip the idea that you know hey you know if we're going to be reunited then you know why not have you know some sort of sexual experimentation with this very very young girl like that's it, it's a gross scenario but there's also i think there's some hints within the game that those aren't your actual party members that they're actually like hallucinations or something because like they're the only battles in the entire game that don't result in exp gain once you've killed those characters there's like a couple kind of oddities like that that don't match up with any of the other kind of like human encounters that you've had thus far and you've seen you've seen brad go to this island alone and seemingly take the only way to this island with him uh and so there's um you know, there's it, that might be a manifestation of Brad's uh, kind of increasing paranoia and this this idea that he's what he's kind of projecting onto everyone else and his lack of trust that he has in the people that have been by his side so far. I don't like it doesn't necessarily make it better, but it kind of like it, it kind of poses it in a slightly different context anyways just to speak to my experience um i had the majority of my party do exactly what brian said uh but there was one member and i can't remember the name of the character i apologize but there was one member that did have a more sympathetic reason like they were genuinely here to help out so i do wonder how much of that is impacted by how much uh, joy you're taking mm, yeah okay maybe the joy is because if, if if that's if that's the case i i wish the game it's it's funny right you don't want it to be too underlined to the point where it's obvious right but like given how reprehensible what the characters say if if it is a case you've taken so much joy that you're paranoid about everyone i wish it would drawn more of a line there because i totally agree with 
what Brian said. Like, without that context, it's just like, you're all terrible. Like, I, I wish I killed you earlier. This is an unfair comparison, and I promise I'll be brief because I, I, I said a lot about it before. But it reminds me of uh, the choices that you can make in Undertale. And I know that that came out yeah. afterwards and everything mm-hmm. else. But, like, I played Undertale like a traditional RPG, and I killed almost everything on my way through. And at the end, I had that moment where flowey is telling me like oh you know you're a monster what do you do then i have to fight this gigantic boss and go through all these things because i made these terrible choices and the game didn't communicate undertale undertale did not communicate that to me effectively um throughout the game but i felt like it was my own fault still i was like i should have realized this because i should have figured this out like the game gave me enough hints i should have been doing the right thing along the way when in this game just as a juxtaposition I felt like I was trying to do everything the way this game was kind of skewing me to do it. And I still ended up just getting destroyed. And like, yeah, it was a really disheartening moment. And if we go back to that decision, like two thirds of the way through the game where you have to choose between like your party members and buddies nipple, essentially. I mean, there are kind of ways to game the system. Like you gain enough party members throughout the game where you could just load up your party at the time with like useless party members that you don't mind sacrificing off. Uh, which, you know, if you've if you're safe scumming or if you've lost before hitting the next save point, you know, this is kind of back to back with another like very significant choice that you might want a opportunity to retry anyways. And so, yeah, you know, there are ways around it if you kind of know that it's coming. But also like one of the kind of complicating factors here, uh, which doesn't really change the way that I feel about it, but it does like in the universe, I don't know, pose kind of a kind of an i don't know interesting question is that the right thing i don't i don't know these aren't questions i even really like asking but uh there's uh, in this plays into the ending as well that um i don't get the sense like in the scenario in which buddy is uh attacked is mutilated like that i i don't get the sense that she minds that much because she's grown up in a very very cruel world and you know of all the things that have happened in her lifetime like this is such like a small thing like it is still like horrible and reprehensible but it didn't seem to bother her to the same degree she doesn't like necessarily like bring it up as like a major point of contention and and i think the fact that like we are putting our like the thing that makes it horrible is like us putting the value judgment on the situation externally for her like regardless of what she might think or want in the situation and you know that kind of plays into the ending like the part of the game that made me like the most upset was there is a point in the game where buddy is like statutory raped like unambiguously she goes to great lengths to kind of like defend her attacker and kind of like puts forward the notion that like it was something that she was curious about as well which is like statutory rape is wrong 100% of the time like there's no situation in which it becomes acceptable like this is not something but like she gets upset with you for trying to make her decisions for her but then as adults playing this game we know that like this is a child like she wants yeah. that individuality she wants the ability to kind of like determine her own destiny and i totally get that because that is like a that is something that you're going through at this point in your life like trying to you know grow into the type of person who can determine your own destiny but like there are certain things that 
children don't have the proper kind of like life context to decide for themselves yet. And the fact yeah. that like she kind of hates you for ultimately doing the right thing in a lot of wrong ways. But I don't, and then, yeah. you know, and then you kind of think about like it's a post apocalyptic, like wasteland, every man for himself type of scenario. Like, how does that factor into the individuality and the sheer kind of like survival tactics that she's grown up to internalize and it's just it's it's very very complicated and it asks some deeply unpleasant questions i don't feel like it necessarily comes up with satisfying answers to any of them but it 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 does pose questions that like in any other context i would say like why are we even like having this conversation why are we why are we entertaining these questions? But in here, like, I feel like it kind of earns those questions anyways. I think my 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 issue is that, yeah, it, it wants to say something about Brad robbing Buddy of her agency, but none of these, none of these scenarios, like, it's not like Brad is stopping Buddy from staying up late around a friend's house. Mm-hmm. It's not that kind of situation, right? It's it's um, these are truly some of the worst things imaginable that Buddy is going through. And any adult parent or no, if you like, is your moral responsibility to step in and and stop you know some of these the, the, the all of these things from happening? And just to speak to the like. A couple, just to speak to a couple of points you raised there, right? I I understand from the purely like mechanical like system, like thinking of it in the wireframe game way. Like, yeah, you can just put you know a few of your nothing characters in that roster for that choice, but in the role playing sense of playing the actual Absolutely. moment as it's intended, like unfortunately, mutilation is the lesser evil, right? Like. The de- the death of free people is worse than mutilating a child, which seems like like I can't believe those words came out of my mouth, but like that that's the truth, right? But the fact that the game makes me makes me have to make that choice really broke me. And then just to speak to your point about like Buddy not reacting, I don't know what the game's intent there is. I can't I can't speak to that but in a real world sense of what what that would mean that would just mean that the child is traumatized to the point of numbness right that speaks to a level of damage that is irrecoverable um which I I I genuinely think buddy experiences throughout the, this game right that is a level of a level of trauma that I don't think no, that's unfair. There are plenty of people who have recovered from that. I think there's the idea that like she's grown up in such a hostile environment that like she's become like a kind of a hardened survivor like everyone else. And the fact that like we keep treating her like she needs to be constantly True. saved from everything is maybe just kind of a remnant of like, it's almost kind of like putting in our face that kind of Princess Peach type of like, is it because she's a girl or is it because she's young that we feel that she's in need of protecting i don't know it, it's it's very complicated i mean i think it's because she's i mean she's a child you know yeah, she yeah. Is, yeah that's the thing i i don't think that's ambiguous at all like i to to kind of speak more to the the fact that she has grown up in this environment 
I I don't think I'm comfortable with that read because uh, she hasn't really. She has been sheltered for her entire life. You know, they may have told her about what was in that. That's the point, right? That's why she's so upset is because she's been so sheltered that she hasn't had mm-hmm. these experiences and she had or, you know, not these experiences specifically, but she hasn't had any experiences really outside of her room. That's why she's so mad. That's why at the end, Brad sees starts to see himself as his father. We haven't even talked about his yeah. father. For me, I, I would lean more towards the she's in shock or she is just horribly traumatized at that point. And to be honest, I'm kind of glad that they did that because I don't know if I could handle it if you made the choice and then had to sit through very violent and clearly painful amputation for her Mm -hmm. mutilation whatever you whatever you're calling it if if you know if it really reveled in that this is causing her pain thing i I don't know we'd be having a different discussion right now or we might not be having a discussion right now because i might have peaced out yeah i I mean like in all honesty if it had properly reveled in that moment in the way that you're describing i might have sent a message to leon saying we're gonna have to rethink the schedule uh, because yeah. like i don't think i would be able to yeah. go any further almost did that anyway but you know the thing about this about all these questions and they're all right and and every literally all three of you made points that made me kind of sit back and think okay i didn't consider things from that angle or or, or maybe i should rethink how i'm frustrating this but it all makes me feel terrible to think about yes every scenario <laughs> every yeah, question yeah. makes me feel terrible and it's such an easy comparison to make but i'm gonna make it because we've made it twice already is with like the last of us part two a game that i adore like mm-hmm. I, I was making this or i actually wasn't making decisions the game the, the game was kind of taking me through it but i was watching these horrible situations involving children involving children without agency including lev you know and yara and 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 also watching ellie who was that child without agency now grow up and have her own agency and making these choices that that are questionable and they like and all of these horrible themes that, that involve a lot of the same themes that we see here, whether it be sexual assault or just an insane violence, mutilation, things like that. But every single one of those moments just felt like it was in service of some greater point that this yeah. game to me is yes. completely devoid of. And mm-hmm. it just yeah, it just it like robs any heart or soul out of those moments that I feel like other games and I know we've made that comparison a couple times I just can't think of any other good examples right now that it just it lacks some of that soul and maybe that's the point yeah. but if that's the point it bums me out <laughs> it's like I can't yeah. it's just it's 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 just too much I feel like I agree with Ryan that it is trying to make a point about the the things that you talk about, like the 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 robbing of agency and that kind of thing. I just think it fumbles the ball, um, and it fumbles yeah. the ball by going as severe as it does. This is a weird case where I think if you lower the stakes, the po- I could take the point more seriously. But because the stakes are as high as they could be in in, in these given scenarios, like the point doesn't come across because it's like. Of course, Brad would defend this child. Would run to rescue her. Like I don't. I this is not to like. I think Brad, you know, in the end, reveals himself to be quite a morally reprehensible character in his own right. But the way it chooses to um, explore theme, explore these ideas, it's just clumsy and and just speaks to a lack of tact with the the subject matter it's it's dealing with. 
I think it needed a strong thesis at the end to kind of wrap it all up. Like The Last of Us Mm -hmm. is a very you know, good parallel journey like to this game. Like it is about a guy who's, you know, an older man who's trying to protect a younger girl who kind of perhaps underestimates her because of his preconceptions of who she is, but, you know, and, you know, kind of growing to growing to accept more of her own personal agency in the world. Like there's a lot of parallel themes here, but like the last of us, even though you also kind of end up being in a morally reprehensible position at the end of the first game. There's, it feels like it does resolve to a point uh, that like something you can walk away with and like internalize is like, you know, yeah. this is like the moral that this was working toward. It's not that everything has to be like a morality play, but like this game, this game doesn't like it, it, it punishes you for the decisions that you've made, but it doesn't present an alternative that would have been appropriate. It doesn't resolve towards any like point necessarily. It just kind of says like, wasn't that wrong? Wasn't that messed up? And it doesn't really like, it doesn't feel like it gives you enough, like, I don't know, enough rope to keep climbing with. One of the heavy themes that we haven't talked about yet because you know we haven't talked about anything heavy in this episode at all obviously (laughs) um but but the the one of the other ones that i did want to touch on is um kind of abusive cycles um because towards the end of the game we did uh kind of note that you find out that brad's motives have not been entirely his own um he has been you know uh both through his um his kind of physical uh actions during combat uh, taking joy and also through just the narrative pieces that you pick up that he is and has been an addict uh that the addiction that he has has altered a lot of his choices it has made him susceptible to being very obsessed with one idea in this case the idea of protecting buddy and uh not allowing her to uh to come to any harm as far as he can uh as far as he can pr- prevent that but the question that they kind of try to address here is where did that obsession come from you don't get a ton of exposition until kind of towards the end, but you do see the game opens on um, knowing where uh, Brad kind of came from uh, family wise. You open up with him entering his uh, his home where his father, who is portrayed as a drunk, uh, abusive person who has absolutely no regard for his son, uh, chucks bottles at him, tells him he's worthless. Um, and you know, that's kind of what we get. You see that he has a sister or you can see that he has a sister. I'm not sure if they make you go into her room or not, but, um, the prequel to this game, the, the original, um, game that uh that came before this and came before the kickstarter actually deals with that you actually play as lisa who is his um his sister that kind of fills in a lot of the backstory um you don't see any of that here you see his father very late in the game who has kind of rescued buddy 
as she puts it, she he has he has rescued her on this island. It's something that Brad is just completely unable to accept. Uh, he is unable to accept that he has become his father in many ways. Uh, but that's clearly what they are angling at. So I do we think that knowing I, I'm not going to say knowing this makes it any better or more understandable because I don't think that's really the question. Do you think that they achieve anything by drawing this parallel and by showing that Brad's actions have this kind of definite catalyst before them? I think the exploration of kind of a cycle of abuse is a little bit shaky here. Um, I think it's mm. interesting context how his father was and, um, you know, what happened with with Lisa originally and the fact that like all of this still kind of haunts him um, and and perhaps, you know, the trauma of, you know, losing somebody and the trauma of feeling powerless in his own life has caused him to, has caused him to kind of like overemphasize this need to protect somebody else. Again, like another really great The Last of Us parallel, you know, who Joel was suffering through a very significant loss in his life that caused him to you know, overinvest in his role as a protector in this life, in the life of somebody else and the kind of attachment problems that that caused for him. But um, as far as like, uh, as far as Brad's father goes, that um, he, like his father felt like he was uh, more of like a negligent father instead of somebody who was kind of like overbearing and overprotective. And so I didn't really see Brad's treatment as like, an extension of that more of kind of like an overcorrection, if anything. I don't know if like, I don't know what the takeaway would be. Like if somebody had played this after growing up with like an abusive parent, um, whether the story would be like, be careful not to be too, uh, be careful not to be too different from your abusive parents. Otherwise you might end up in the same road that it, it's just like, it doesn't come through with like a really clear really clear thesis for me again is what I'm kind of missing here. Yeah. I think that um, some of the things that that relationship with Lisa and the loss of Lisa go to explain for Brad or like kind of his willingness to go through things like as such as losing an arm and still not giving up that type of thing. Um, I can definitely see like, you know, that motivation coming from that experience. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to lose somebody again. I'm not, I'll, doesn't matter what I go through. Even at the end, I'm not sure what ending you all received, but my end was, you know, Brad, armless Brad kneeling down with arrows and blood coming out of him. And then, and then, uh, Lisa comes over and, uh, or excuse me, buddy comes over, gives him joy one last time. And then he turns into a joy mutant, you know, fun, the end. But, uh, but yeah, like just his willingness to go through any type of torture, whatever it takes to get back to her. I see how that could be a motivation for that. But like, but much like you, Ryan, I, I don't think it. Yeah, it, it doesn't have enough of that thesis. Doesn't doesn't really have a strong enough conviction uh, to tying one to the other. And maybe if you play, played the played, excuse me, the prequel game that would ex have connected those dots for you. But I, but I hadn't done that before launching into this. All right. Uh, so we've gone through a lot of themes and a lot of uh, really kind of hard discussions and choices that uh, you need to have and need to make and things that this game brings up, things it does well, things it does poorly. Um, so I recognize that this is a loaded question, but do we have anything else that we would like to bring up um, with regard to kind of the themes or uh, anything just in 
the storyline that it addresses that really hit us? Maybe not a storyline thing, but I feel like I do at least want to point a little bit of a spotlight on the just how how upsetting both from a gameplay and from a narrative perspective i found the uh, russian roulette scene to be yeah me too oh, yeah, oh god yes that you yeah. are kind of abducted into a warehouse with a bunch of other uh this kind of gang uh mad max style gang who force you and your party to play russian roulette and basically you have to select the party member who plays next and you have to keep playing until you win three games. And the way that Russian roulette works is that like whoever shoots themselves in the head is obviously the one that loses. But it's completely random and completely RNG in this um in this game. And so it's not like it's not like the designers, you know, pitched it in such a way where you're going to lose two party members, then you get to continue on your adventure. Like you could theoretically never progress past this point because it is entirely random. And I spent so, so many attempts going back here and having all of my party members killed, like one after the next. And it, it, this was like a major gameplay stumbling block to me. And uh, until eventually, like when I, when the RNG gods were on my side, I was able to get through without any of my party <laughs> members dying. Um, oh, nice. worth. But it's just like, yeah, it, it, it made me like, I just went to Twitter and I was like, what about this is fun? Like, why is this a part of a game that I'm playing for enjoyment? Like the, like I'm very sensitive to a few topics in, in media and like, I never do well with like suicide in general. And just the fact that like, I just had to keep like re-experiencing that scene and the fact that like gameplay wise, it didn't really end up going anywhere or adding anything to it. Just like this put me in a really kind of bad mood pretty early on in the game. At least with some of the other sequences, I could do some work to kind of figure out a point that's being tried, you know, being attempted to being made in those moments. What, is the point <laughs> here what, what what is the narrative thematic reasoning because i if you want to be this cruel like i can see there being one like i i feel like there is a way to make just random death death of your party members make sense and and lead up to a a narrative thematic point but it just it's like a small sequence of the game you never see any of those characters ever again as far as i could as far as my experience went and then like it yeah it doesn't really have any consequence or feed into the ending in any way meaningful way it just feels pointless I I agree with that there. I got so frustrated with it that I started Googling and I kind of found a way that people think you can sort of game it. It didn't work 100%, but I managed to get through only losing one party member uh, on an attempt. So, uh, you know, I I guess that's something. But I I mean, even even if you wanted to keep that scene in there, why do you have to do it three times in a row? Like, Mm -hmm. that's just wild like if they say okay you're gonna play russian roulette pick your person and then you know it's one and done i still think that would not serve a particular purpose in this context but at least it wouldn't be such a wall to kind of bash your head against 
Like, I don't mind losing party members either. Like, I think that's actually like a really compelling thing that this game does. Like, it loads you up with so many opportunities to meet yeah. people throughout the game that yeah. you're never yeah. like really at a major handicap if you lose one or two or three. Like, even at the uh, the end of Mass Effect 2, the suicide mission, I understand now, years afterwards, that like, no, it's not actually random and you know, you do get a fair amount of agency in who survives and who dies in the suicide mission at the end of Mass Effect 2. But at the time, I thought it was random and I lost a party member. And I was like, that's really compelling. And I, this is. I will never forgive them for taking Garrus from me. <laughs> oh, man, that's rough. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's like, that's. I know. Like, that to me was like one of the definitive moments of this series. And like, I thought it was random at the time, and I was okay with just proceeding with my story as that happened. And I could see them trying to do something similar here, but just like it, I, I don't know. I just found it very frustrating the fact that I had to yeah. like reload from game over so many times. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So um, we have a couple more pieces of correspondence from our forum that I would like to, uh, to present here. One of them is from T Bird, who says, a few years ago, I bought Lisa based on good reviews and the promise of something different, but then never installed it. This was at least in part due to the off-putting, grotesque Earthbound art style. When I saw it on the playlist, I decided to finally give it a chance, and while I appreciate the premise, as far as I understand it, the boldness to undermine so many game design rules and to infuse every last aspect of the game with its bleak premise, as well as some of the bits of often dark humor in the writing, we just don't get along. It's not really a mechanical issue with the game. The RPG system is fine, and I enjoy being able to manually do combos or select them from a menu. No, I'm mostly annoyed at two things. I've probably spent two of my 13 hours of playtime lost, wandering back and forth, trying to find out where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes I'm not even sure if I've been somewhere before. I'll give the designers the benefit of the doubt and assume that a post-apocalyptic wasteland is going to be pretty samey, but it's not very fun to navigate with so few landmarks. My other issue is the random events which can often cripple a character, your party, or outright remove slash kill a member. I've resorted to save scumming because this aspect is so incredibly irritating. I'm only halfway through, but I wonder if the game is even completable if you let the random events run their course. I'm not sure if I will ever finish Lisa. Even though I appreciate what it is going for, it's not a good sign when I have to force myself to return to a game, even if a few very rare events do provide a nice payoff. And Ludo FM says, I played Lisa the Painful on a whim, glancing at the art style and not thinking much of it. I was so incredibly wrong when judging this game by its aesthetic. Lisa is one of the darkest, most twisted game narratives I've ever slogged through. I have a massive respect and reverence for aspects of this game, but I'd be lying if I said it was all sunshine and rainbows throughout. I'll never forget the unwinnable choices like losing limbs, succumbing to joy addiction, and that grim, hopeless finale. Honorable mention goes to the rave dancer who tragically lost his life by hanging. I cannot articulate how traumatic that encounter was, however passive and brief. That EDM tune is burned into my brain. And we also have uh, just a couple of three-word reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse, and every recording day we try to put out a, uh, a call for these early in the day. And uh, Ryan, would you start us off? T-Bird says, needs more joy. Rad Dude Online says, Terry Hints Rules. Okay, uh, summary, huh? Summary, summary, summary. Um, so, I I mean, I think maybe we're, we're all kind of on a similar level here. Josh, why don't you go first in summarizing your feelings on Lisa? Throughout this reco recording, I'm, I'm really worried. For, for those who haven't played the game, I'm, I'm really worried that I've come off as like 
a evangelical conservative worried about games corrupting kids, <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I want to make it, and I, I said this up top, and I want to make it really clear in the, in the summary. I think art should explore any and all subject matter, whether it be really, um, you know, lighthearted stuff or really dark stuff like rape, like child abuse. However, when you're using stuff like child abuse and you're using stuff like torture, when you're using stuff like that, you have to understand that you are dealing with volatile chemicals and treat them with the respect that they deserve. This game just has... It's graceless and tactless in a way that comes off as adolescent to me. I can't really forgive it for that as much as there's some really compelling design ideas here. Like we talked about the campfire being not a safe place. I actually really, that's, I think that's an inspired piece of game design. Um, I think the combat system works. It's robust. It's deep, but all that clever design is being used to, to tell a story that I just find philosophically kind of repugnant I, 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 as um, you, you folks are talking about other things. I, I looked up this quote from Disco Elysium um, because, uh, first of all, I think Disco Elysium handles a lot of um, similar mm-hmm. subject matter in a in a much more tactful way. But this quote kind of sums up why it lands differently and and why media of a similar caliber lands differently. And the quote is: "This is real darkness. It's not death." or war, or child molestation. Real darkness has love for a face. The first death is in the heart. And that's what this game is missing. A heart. It doesn't have a heart or a soul. And that's why I can't, in good conscience, recommend Lisa the Painful. It baffles me a little bit that the the reception to this game has been so positive overall. I wonder if some of that isn't kind of... I'm not saying that people can't like this game, obviously, but I am wondering if some of that is not kind of a reaction to the fact that there aren't tons of games that handle this kind of subject matter and even fewer that handle it in this way. I completely agree that I think that this should exist. I'm glad that it does. I'm glad that it got made. But I I just I don't want to play this game ever again. I I it's it did not click with me. I was very uncomfortable playing it. And in that, maybe that's I, I think that at least partially that's probably what the creator is going for. You you're not supposed to be comfortable playing this game, but there's a lot of things that you're not supposed to be comfortable doing that show up in media and those don't make me want to uninstall it from my computer and then set my hard drive on fire. <laughs> I, I just that's that's a, that's a little extreme, but I think you get where I'm going with this. Like I I just this made me uncomfortable in a bad way and not in a way that like I don't want to confront this. Like I I can confront the fact that that terrible things happen, but I don't enjoy having to do so in a way like this that does not seem to take itself 
seriously enough and at the same time it it takes itself too seriously which sounds like i'm hedging my bets a little bit i understand that but it's 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 a tough it's a tough articulation for me to make because i i don't think this is a bad game i just think that i i can't play it anymore so um I don't know what to say as to recommendations like I personally wouldn't recommend it, but I don't know what to say, given the kind of overall positive reception. Maybe maybe you will enjoy it. Maybe it's something that going if you go into it with the proper expectations, maybe it will click or resonate more. But I don't think so. It didn't for me. I just I really can't see it happening uh, at any point in the future. Disappointingly enough, because I think that there is a really interesting story somewhere in there. I just don't think we got to it. Um, And I think that the themes and the plot points, I'm really pleased with the discussion that we had. But guys, let's never speak of this ever again. (laughs) Brian, please. Josh, I'm going to attempt to one up you because my answer is going to be artsy fartsy. So I'm going to go from being a conservative moralist to a liberal elitist here in one fell swoop. So (laughs) I am glad I played this game because uh, I do, especially now in the age of social media and other things, I do think that I I kind of and as I get older, just consistently find myself living in more of a cultural echo chamber, whether by choice or just by kind of happenstance. I we we laugh a lot about um, at least I laugh a lot with Leon Cox about how like Brian likes everything. Brian likes everything, you know, so um, so in playing this game, like I feel like it does help shape my critical lens quite a bit. I've recognized some things about this game that I do like and things I don't like. So so for me personally, I am glad I played it because I think it makes me a better consumer of media, if that makes any sense. But nothing about consuming this made me feel good at all. And so I can't recommend it in good faith, even though I don't personally regret the experience. I wouldn't recommend it to others. I don't think this is a the game that you need to see in order to see these things tackled well. Um I think this game is brutal, and I think there's other places you can get brutal. I think this game is, at best, it is morally ambiguous. At worst, it is sadistic and cruel. And I, I am, I struggle with myself at where to fully believe this game lands on that spectrum. This game I really struggled with, and I'm really glad I went back to it this past week so I could make sure I wasn't viewing it through a through like a covid lens, you know, uh, just because I was kind of stuck playing it. Um, No, I went back to it by choice and felt the exact same way. And and yeah, I, I I'm glad I played it, but I but I but I also wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Thanks. And finally, Ryan, I, I view this in the same way that I view a lot of like Russian artwork. Uh, it a lot of like Russian poetry and Russian literature, Russian film tends to be very bleak, but I get the sense when engaging with uh, kind of a Russian literary tradition that a lot of that bleakness is reflecting the uh, lived experience of the authors and the people who put it together. And there's not necessarily like a reveling in the bleakness as there is just kind of uh, an honest, like just an output of what those people have have lived through. And I kind of get the same impression with this game that I feel like it is coming from a place of pain from the creator. Uh, so I, I don't, 
I don't know if like I don't know enough about the guy to be able to judge one way or the other, but at least like some of the questions that it asks and a lot of the kind of like cries out into the emptiness do feel like really genuinely motivated by like some really kind of complex stuff that's happening internally. And so like from that perspective, from the idea that this is kind of like a person thinking through and working out a lot of their own a lot of their own thoughts and problems like i can be a little bit more i'm a little bit more permissive of some of the stuff that like i just that didn't sit well with me because it's meant to kind of it's meant to be a troubling and upsetting world and a troubling and upsetting experience i i think that uh the idea of depicting a world in which only men exist as being this total dystopia that is kind of governed only by this kind of alpha male idea of toxic masculinity and having all these different characters that represent different aspects of ways in which masculinity can go wrong. Brad, the failed protector to kind of remember, misremembering the character's names now, Rando, I think the imposing character who is a you know a weak person in his own right, but puts on an imposing figure as a way of kind of like of showing this the the frailness of the of the illusion of um, toxic masculine strength. Uh, you know, in the same way that like the Nazis uh, hired fashion designers to construct their costumes to be as like scary as possible instead of as functional as possible. You know, this idea that like you're putting on a face, you're putting on a front. Buzzo, this this idea of complete Joker-like uh, anarchy and taking this uh, this moment of societal rules breaking down to kind of explore and express his every, the every whim of the id. Like all of these concepts kind of working together in this like mush, this kind of ugly mush of of toxic masculinity puts a lot of it in really brilliant focus and display but i totally agree with josh like where it lost me is that it doesn't have a thesis it doesn't have like a resolution that like ultimately ends up saying anything about them uh there's so much good setup here and there's so much like interesting stuff that the game kind of nibbles around the edges of without ever really getting to the core of any of it and that's kind of what disappoints me um, from a gameplay perspective i didn't care for a lot of the moment to moment i i enjoyed a lot of the like weird discoveries you would make along the way and i think that there are a you know many great moments in this game and a lot of like really clever scenarios that you find yourself in but yeah ultimately at the end of it for it to resolve onto just kind of an apathetic bleakness rather than resolving into some kind of a hopeful resolution or at least some kind of a of a of a cogent condemnation of a worldview or an idea or just anything for me to really like anchor onto would have taken this a lot farther than I think it did. But yeah, without that like solid idea to kind of build my recollection of it around. I'm also kind of left a bit hollow, but I have a respect for a lot of the art, a lot of the music, a lot of the ideas, and a lot of the like 
writing that went into it. I just kind of wish it, I just kind of wish it resolved. Thank you all very much. So it just remains for me, Leah, to thank Brian, Josh, and Ryan, as well as our correspondents, uh, Ryan again, who's pulling double duty uh, on editing this one. Plus, of course, all of you for listening. And to tell you that next time in issue 499, this world's not so great, so let's go to another world. Another world.